For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. I um feel so I feel so I, I the term I'm gonna use is jazzed. Wow. <laughs> I feel energized. I feel like I'm not alone. Yeah. I there's been nothing but aliens for me for the past like nine days. Yeah. And this is my sweet spot. This is where I'm I'm happiest. You actually look younger. <laughs> I am. I'm covered in creams. Uh. also, you know what I did as a little break for myself during aliens is I went back to the Jonestown Institute website. And started listening to a bunch of those audio clips again. I don't know why I did that. No idea. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Yeah. And we got Henry Zabrowski over there in Los Angeles. This is my new LA studio. Yes, it looks I'm in a I'm in a studio apartment. And the other people when I when I rented this place, they I didn't tell them it was gonna be a podcast studio. Right. And so <laughs> my neighbors are gonna be very surprised and maybe upset oh, absolutely. with hearing what comes out of here. Horrified of the new neighbor next door. Uh, we also were still working on that new studio in Los Angeles. So you might notice a little echo, but I assure you uh, it will be all fixed up by next week. So uh, don't stress out. Just do what I told Marcus and imagine. Imagine it's already fixed. <laughs> it's like it's already been fixed. Absolutely. So Henry mentioned aliens up top, and that's what we're talking about today. Thank God it's not Jonestown Part 6. Uh, we are oh. on to the, which was an amazing series, by the way. And thank you for all of the unbelievable responses uh, to that series. We've got re- some folks, A&E has reached out. They want they want your brain, Marcus. They do? Yes, they love your mind. Oh, no one told me about this. Hmm, never mind. <laughs> All right, today we're going to focus on the Hudson Valley sightings. This is a big one, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of those, when in terms of the uh, world of UFOs, it is underreported for some reason. But we're, what we're going to go into today is one of the most well-documented series of sightings that have happened in the modern time. I mean, this is modern times. What right. I like about this is this is not the 1950s. So the main Hudson Valley sightings cover a period of about two years from New Year's Eve 1982 until Halloween 1985, Ooh. mostly in upstate New York, but also in Connecticut, just a short drive away from right here in New York City. Oh, I thought you were going to say the WWE headquarters. <laughs> no, no, never then. But Depeche Mode is pumping through the radio. 
I already feel it. I'm back there, man. Oh, yeah. Motherfucker, I got a denim jacket on, and I do have a denim jacket now. And then I, my hair is thicker then because I was I was one years old. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm thinking about walking 5,000 miles to meet somebody because I don't have a car, which is probably why she doesn't like me. <laughs> well, it's estimated that in those two years, up to 5,000 people witnessed the aerial phenom sometimes known as the Westchester Boomerang. <laughs> also sounds like... The worst professional wrestler of all time <laughs> who immediately broke his neck. I think a Westchester Boomerang sounds like a good name for a burrito served at one of those like shitty little strip malls because like because it keeps coming back. Ooh. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll come back. That's but uh, and my grandparents lived in Westchester. Huh. So it's my, my horrible grandmother was a vampire lived in Westchester. And so this all this shit happened in our lives, which is like one thing that's very interesting about the Hudson Valley sightings is it's an hour north of New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in contrast to terrifying UFO stories like communion or fire in the sky, the Hudson Valley sightings are closer to close encounters of the third kind. All right. Which is the reference point used again and again when describing the craft scene. It. This is this is the kind one. Mm-hmm. This is a kind series of UFO sightings. One point mm. of the, I think this episode is a part of what what I like to do sometimes is really sit back, just stone as all fuck. Because now what I do is I got CBD cream, and I rub CBD cream like all over my back and my chest. What's CBD cream? It's the shit. It's the it's the oh it's the it's God's love. They put in a weed. <laughs> God's love's in it. And you put it all over. It makes your whole body numb. I eat a couple of edibles. And then I smoke a fucking bowl, right? And I got this super powerful indica I got from our new shop. Because it was super recreational. Fuck yeah, you pieces of shit. Uh (laughs) And I sit back. And I roll back in my mind. And I imagine these gigantic UFOs coming over and it's fucking awesome. It Expand your consciousness, you pieces of fuck. Well, and that's <laughs> the difference of when you're going and studying to become a MUFON agent versus when you're studying to become a doctor. Uh, you actually have to be sober for one of those and it's certainly not the former. Well, the thousands of people who saw this craft and the hundreds who spoke about it said a slow-moving football field-sized object moved wow. slowly across the night sky, flashing lights on multiple occasions. Cool. One witness said it was so big, it looked as if it was a floating city, six stories high. He may have been the only person to use that simile, but hundreds more testified to that size. Wow. He was in a creative writing class. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. What worked, these sightings are awe-inspiring. The people who saw them, a lot of times their lives were changed. They saw these things and it, and it really pop their their worldview open and but the thing is it's very underreported mainly because we're going to see it's because of the way it was handled in the years after the sightings that it discredited a lot what people were talking about but at the time thousands of people came out and said that could imagine this take a football field right put it up in the sky and imagine this fucking gigantic what they said at the time it looked like a boomerang of lights but then there was a giant black amorphous shape that just blocked out the stars all around it just like float up there and that's right. gonna be like what like, now, what, is the it, fuck? what the fuck is it possible it wasn't a football field but in fact a basketball court and the monsters were playing <laughs> is that possible 
That is the only Monstars reference you're allowed to make. <laughs> All right. I took it, and I got it. <laughs> now, the reason why the number of sightings are so numerous is because the sighting area covered 1,400 square miles from mm. Westchester to New Haven, Connecticut. Not surprisingly, this group phenomenon was at first completely ignored by the mainstream media. Flush. <laughs> Lamestream media doesn't understand what grips people. Were the aliens like... We must check out the khaki douchebags of America. <laughs> I mean, that is like the worst. I don't want to, I'm not trying to stereotype. There's a lot of wonderful people there. But. Brewster is amazing. Brewster is the Paris of America. <laughs> okay. Nor was this taken seriously by the scientific community, mm. much to the chagrin of the two UFO investigators who went all in on the Hudson Valley sightings. Right. Dr. J. Allen Hynek and Phil Imbrogno, co-authors of the book about the sightings, Night Siege. Cool. If you are a UFO enthusiast, I'm going to use the term enthusiast, Night Siege belongs on your bookshelf. It is a seminal <laughs> work <laughs> of paranormal investigation. J. Allen Hynek put his whole dick and balls in this thing. It is thick and it is boring, as it should be. It should be boring yeah. because that's what Hynek wanted it to be. And it does feel like many of the same story again and again. And you see the lights come over the hills and all this kind of shit. But at the same time, if you're high enough, it's like right. a new story every time. It also <laughs> sounds like a book that somebody might read thinking it could be about Adolf Hitler's rise to power and then when they get to the seminar that they're supposed to speak at they get it all wrong. Just also understand this is one of several other books because there's Night Siege, there's Night Invasion there's Silent Invasion, there's Silent Night. These are all UFO books wow. that all sort of say this idea because it wasn't really a siege No, it was um, a meander it was the UFOs have meandered, they are rolling out of their jogging pants to come see everyone and and essentially moon them. <laughs> they sound like Steven Seagal films, both thin and fat Steven Seagal. <laughs> now let's give a little information on our main two guys here. First, there's Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Now this guy was the real deal. Yes, he was. Love this fucking guy. Yeah, he was a well-respected, soft-spoken astrophysicist, mm. had a PhD in everything. He worked on Project Sign, Project Grudge, and most famously, Project Blue Book. These oh. were the three biggest official government UFO investigations until Blue Book was shut down in 1968. Wow. But Hynek continued in an unofficial capacity to examine the heavens as before. Heineck worked with the CIA. Kissel, you get that fucking smile off your no. face. No, it's usually when they the say unofficial capacity, he keeps on showing up to work. And they're like, yes, you were fired so eight curious. years ago. You have because to that's retire. A, that's a really curious scientist. Okay. That's a real person that really is interested in the subject. Heineck was the guy. Heineck worked with all of the spooks. He was the one whose job, essentially, when they, find, when they formed Project Sign, they wanted a guy that would definitely debunk everything. Mm. So they called on Heineck. Heineck at the time was the least groovy person to sport a Van Dyke. He's He has a full Van Dyke, which also at the same time, you know he's good at eating pussy, but he can't get hard. But he's very, but he's very smart. And he, he started working with them. The idea is he was supposed to shut down all of these sightings. And he was supposed to give credence to the shutdown. A part of it is because then they could cover their asses and say, okay, no, we did our due diligence. We had a scientist on board. And then Heineck... Over time, over many years of discovery, he got turned, which is, to me, the most telling sign. Because basically what he said, he's like, yes, 80% of, uh, 
unidentified flying objects are technically IFOs, identified flying objects, mm. misidentified. And he knows that, but he's like, the always the problem will be is that 20%. Yeah, and that was one of mm. his problems with Project Blue Book. And actually the problems that a lot of people had with Project Blue Book uh, was there were a lot of sightings that they just didn't address. Mm. That they just said like, eh, we don't know what it is, but we know they're not UFOs. Right. Uh, and Hynek was super against it. He was super pissed off about that. But Hynek, he was a man that was unfortunately destined to be misunderstood. Really? Yes. <laughs> Stunning revelations. Uh, even though he believed wholeheartedly in UFO phenomena, as Henry said, he was still a skeptic. And it took decades for him to be convinced that UFOs existed. He never fudged facts and he always went with the evidence. Mm. And in fact, it was Dr. Hynek who first used swamp gas as uh -oh. an explanation for UFOs. He did technically try to pitch to Hershey chocolate a thing called fact fudges, which is supposed <laughs> to be, it's supposed to be little pieces of fudges with trivia wrapped around them. And they said, get out of here, you fucking nerd. Oh man, that would be good. So he's somewhere between Art Bell and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Ah, uh, man. Ooh. That's not a bad way to describe him. Hey, actually. all right. Except he's not as insufferable as Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. I know what is. Well, I get it. You're smart. <laughs> it's like, Ugh. but no, Heineck was the one. He came up with fucking swamp gas, mm -hmm. right. and his term. What basically what he said was the the swamp gas. Just to to sum up, is a concept that like. The swamp farts, which is, I guess, true. <laughs> that because plants decompose and shit and frogs fart. I'm just... I'm, this is Are just you sure you got this one nailed down? <laughs> Listen, but the swamp bubbles come up and they ignite. That's So those are fart. Those are frog farts. <laughs> yes, it's like a frat. It's like, imagine if the top of a swamp was a big old fraternity and, and farts, were, farts were getting lit on fire by friction. Our next speaker is uh, Henry Zabrowski. He's going to explain no, the auditorium no, no, swamp no, gas. No. Uh, Henry, I'll uh, tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> gonna collapse. Um, but the swamp gas would ignite and then what he said is that it would the pockets of it would ignite in a row and it would look like a moving object from mm. far away. Mm -hmm. And so he used that as the default like this is how we're gonna explain away a bunch of UFO sightings. And after a while I mean he was being pressured to do this and according to Heineck the reason why he was being pressured to do this was specifically by the CIA and what he said is that at the time it's interesting because nowadays we view the reason why that they didn't do they don't do disclosure about UFOs is because they're afraid of uh, the population's reaction right. to the truth about UFOs. But the CIA was actually more concerned that the UFO craze would be hijacked by the communists in the in the in the fifties, and that they would use that as a way to destabilize America. Uh -oh. Which is, if you believe that Area Fifty One book, because what happened was a bunch of mentally handicapped people with plastic surgery were sent over by Stalin, <laughs> and that's what crashed into Roswell. <laughs> And I don't know if that's true either. Yeah, there's a good doc on Area 51 on Netflix right now. Yeah. yeah. And for more on the mentally challenged people crashing in Roswell, be sure to go listen to our Roswell series. Mm. Now, the swamp gas thing specifically uh, was created by Alan Heinrich, not necessarily created, but hypothesized by uh, Alan Heinrich uh, during a mass sighting of UFOs in Michigan. Uh, now, what Heineck said was that a portion of the people who claimed to have seen UFOs in that incident had just seen swamp gas. The rest of the people had credibly seen a UFO. Hmm. And unfortunately for Heineck, the media seized on the term swamp gas, probably because it's kind of funny. Right. And to this day, 
over 50 years later, people still use swamp gas as a way to derisively dismiss UFO sightings. Well, do we know what the frogs were eating? <laughs> were they eating gassy foods? I don't know. Jackie made some mushroom and barley soup last night. That'll and do it. I have been like a fucking squeeze toy. <laughs> I, I'm like a cartoon fart machine. Um, Hynek was a fucking like full on nerd for a long time, but he got into some psychedelic shit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This guy was a proponent of the possibility that these visitors were not only coming from other planets, but also, more likely, from other dimensions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Kissel. <laughs> yes. It's different. Yeah. But he had we've a, talked about this before. The but, planet outside the planet. Yeah. Now, he had a theory about something called M&M technology. Now, Henry, what is M&M technology? <laughs> well, the one thing it does <laughs> is <laughs> it's a computer. <laughs> it's got a it's a computer that you can put oh, in your hand and it doesn't melt. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know what I mean? but if you suck on it, it Yeah, melts. that'll melt. That'll melt it. But seriously, it's called mental. It's it's called mental and machine technology. Mm. There is a book that I'm gonna. You you better be fucking ready for this because I don't want to hear any guff about this from anyone. <laughs> There's a book called The Edge of Reality by Dr. J. Allen Hynek and my favorite Jacques Vallée. And in this book, it breaks down what Eminem tech, Eminem technology is. All right, and I read this last night and I fucking blew my mind. <laughs> and one thing that it talked about was. So we've already talked about. So he uses the book Flatland to also, explain dimensions. By the way, again, just Shut remind up. yourself he is covered not only in the inside but the outside of with weed. He yes. is a, if a weed dog could become a human being, it is the closest it is. thing. It's like that movie, scary movie, when the weed becomes real and destroys uh, Damon, one of the Wayans. That is you. No, it's like. The movie, it's like the show, The Low Files with Rob Lowe and his sons, and they go and they try to meet aliens and ghosts and shit, and they get a shaman, a guy named Shaman Joe that comes and helps them. You got to get up to the vibration okay. of the aliens, and a part of it's slathering yourself with numbing cream. <laughs> but the book that it's called, so The Edge of Reality breaks down the most psychedelic view of aliens, which is what they believe is the actual truth, is that it's somewhere between a psychic and physical phenomenon, which is what I've been shouting about. <laughs> For years. Mm. But what this says is, so like in the movie Flatland, right? Everything's flat shapes, but the triangles are in charge. But then a sphere shows up and they don't see, they don't know what it is. They just see a dot and then all of a sudden it passes through them. Tick it up a notch, right? Third dimension. We're the spheres. Something past the sphere shows up. Fucking walks through your dick and balls. While you're walking down the street, Kissel, and you don't even know. Right. They're watching you. They're thinking about taking you, but their sperm is all filled with alcohol. Yeah. You're not good for their hybrid program. That's good. That's and a, so, a protector, yeah. But the M&M technology goes on to say... The reason why, it's not just that they're interdimensional beings with interdimensional crafts and they show up, is that imagine aliens are either another dimension or on another planet physically, and then they psychically project ships and shit from their place to us. So we're actually getting abducted and we see psychic projections of the aliens. We're only 15 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it just television? <laughs> kind of. You're kind of getting it. I'm kind of getting he it. Does it. Right. He describes yeah. it as television. Cool. Yeah, you're kind of getting it. So I completely misunderstood what M&M theory was all about. 
No, dude, it's it's explained in the edge of reality. I he just goes deep into the explanation shit. is is confusion. No, you think about something cool. Imagine if you could just send me a pizza with your mind because you think it'd be kind of cool. And you sat and you thought about it, and all of a sudden a pizza appeared before me, and then just so happened that the pizza started extracting cum from me to make pizza babies. That's <laughs> oh what we're talking about. Oh my goodness, well, that's a strange way to make a pie. <laughs> well, Heinick was also the creator of the Close Encounters scale, oh. and he was an advisor on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And of course, Bill Cooper thought that this made Heineck a shell. Uh-oh. But we're not going to get into that. We covered Bill Cooper, though. Yeah, we yes. covered Bill Cooper and what he thinks about the people who were advisors on movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Ooh. So that's Heineck. His co-author on Night Siege, however, Phil Imbrogno, was something different altogether. Hmm. He physically resembled a mustacheless... Mario Brothers. Mario Mario. <laughs> oh. That's good. He probably has to plumb. Uh, he's probably got, he's probably got to de-plumb the toilet. What do you call it? If you plumb a toilet? I think you plumb a toilet. You plumb yeah. a toilet? You totally plumb a toilet. <laughs> I don't like that at all. By the way, uh, full disclosure here, I officially broke my toilet seat yesterday. I was just sitting on it. That toilet and seat's then, that toilet seat seen a lot of big asses over the years. It just yeah. cracked underneath me and it, as if you couldn't get any sadder. You know, it's like one of those scenes where it's like, what else could happen? The kids are Kissel. gone. I lost my job and then the toilet seat breaks. Kissel, if you could give your shame a color, what would your color shame be? Uh, just like a... a, a Purple mixed Ugh. with a green, <laughs> just an overall something you don't want to look at or taste. Mm. Kind of like when you're finger painting and you accidentally get all the watercolors mixed together. Every time just... I finger painted, it just turned into a black hole. <laughs> yes, it's like I'm a child from the ring. I thought it sounded more like a like a bruise from a father. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> No, while Heineck was a soft-spoken astrophysics professor at Northwestern with truly groundbreaking theories on extra and ultra-terrestrial intelligence, Brogno was more of a yeah-me-too type of guy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, you see UFOs? Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's what I do all day long. All I do is look at UFOs and I uh, write down the uh, science of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a doctor. I got one of the reflective little things on my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've been. Yeah, me too. I'm with you. Yeah, you me, buddy. Heineck must have been driven insane by this fucking guy. <laughs> no, Imbrogno said he had degrees from the University of Texas and MIT, oh. particularly a PhD in theoretical chemistry from the latter. Okay. And that was in addition to him being a hard-bitten Vietnam vet. All right. None of it was true. Ah. It, it was, it, it is bad. And it is bad for <laughs> okay. Heineck's record. And he wrote this thing, but Phil Imbrogno was in deep. He was trying to get deep into the UFO community, but a part of it too, it's like if you hear him talk, you could just see it on him. It's this whole being like, hey, do a theoretical chemistry all the time. You ever go up to a Burger King? You get that, you get all the, the soda from the soda machine, you mix it all up, you get one big crazy soda. I like when you can't tell the differences between all the soda in it. No ice. I like it hot. <laughs> I believe him. Boy, Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around. It's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try 
every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha and it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Uh, and Brogno was much more concerned with the high strangeness than the scientific studies. Hmm. Now, high strangeness is a somewhat technical term in paranormal studies that defines incidents that usually occur between 2 and 4 a.m. involving the appearance of creatures, 
odd sounds, electromagnetism, and hallucinatory experiences achieved without the use of drugs. Okay. High in life, bro. I was sitting in bed the other night. So as invariably happens every single time I am deep in the middle of an alien episode, I have very intense abduction nightmares. And so I was sitting, uh, I was in bed and I snapped awake and it's 2.45 and I had just read a whole thing about high strangeness from being from 2 to 4 a.m. I look over at the clock, it's 2.45, I'm there. But I'd also just read this this abduction account where a guy was talking about how he was asleep in bed and he looked, a lady was in bed and she looked over at her husband and she, she felt there were presents in the room, but the husband was asleep, but he had this snarled look of pure fright on his face and his eyes were completely open, but he was asleep. And Natalie was in the bed facing away from me and I didn't want to wake her up because I felt like there was something in the room. Right. I think because that was how much cream I was covered in. Yeah. And I didn't want to wake her up because I was so afraid that if I pulled her over, she'd have that (laughs) like look on her face and then uh, aliens would be there. And then what the fuck am I going to do? Not do this episode. That's for sure. Very traumatized. (laughs) Like that YouTube short. There's a great YouTube short with the scary woman in bed. Remember that? Yeah. Lights out. They made a whole movie out of it. They did. Huh? Yeah. 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 Not good. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Yeah. You don't got to expand it. Yeah. Well, that shit that Henry was just talking about was precisely the type of thing that Dr. Heine wanted to avoid. Oh. He believed that it was already hard enough to get people to take UFO studies seriously without muddling the whole thing up with reptilians and greys and mothmen and all that bullshit. Sure. Unfortunately, though, Imbrogno's bullshit in both his high strangeness claims and especially his fake credentials, mm. which were absolutely revealed... Both of those things have worked to discredit the Hudson Valley sightings, as well as sully the good name of one of the most credible of all UFO investigators, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Mm. Did Imbrognos? Just Imbrogno. Imbrogno? Did he wear lanyards that said what what all of his credentials were at all times? No, but he primarily wore starter jackets. Uh, Oh, good. Now, I don't know exactly how these two got together, but I think it's because Heineck was the founder of the Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, a.k.a. KUFOS. <laughs> stop laughing. You stop Kufos, snickering. I, it just it sounds like a horrible diet food. <laughs> and Imbrogno happened to be a rather active and enthusiastic member of the upstate New York chapter where the Hudson Valley sightings happened. Okay. And Imbrogno was just fine while Heineck was still alive to temper him. Oh. Well, Heineck was still around to go, eh, let's not talk about all that yeah, shit. Yeah, chill out a little bit. But as we'll see, even after death, your good name can be ruined by the associations you have with idiots when you're alive. Okay. We, so that's the discussion of our players. That's the introduction to the two men that would blow this wide open. Now, we're going to get back into a time machine now. Imagine... Um, you're sitting in a in a I'm gonna say a big old beanbag chair with a clock on front of it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna you're got your feet up in holsters like you get at the gyno if you've ever seen them or if you do gyno play with your loved ones in your red bedroom. You I got don't know what holsters. kind of weird reveal that was. Good <laughs> Lord, Doctor Zabrowski, the patient will see you now. Take the clock in front of you, set it all the way back to New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty-two. Studio. They're all happening in, in, in one go. Right. And we're gonna go to the first ever Hudson Valley sighting. Okay. This occurred just before midnight. New Year's Eve, 1982. The witness 
was a man who was given the very impressive alias of Tony Valor. <laughs> or Tony Valor. And Tony both Va- of them. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, works well, both ways. Tony Valor and Tony Valor are two very different people. Yes. Yeah. Tony I mean, Valor works at a uh, he works at a hair salon. <laughs> and Tony Valor uh, is the guy who's just mopping up at the end of the night at the hair salon because he has a made-up name because of the crimes in his past. Yes. And although he is always fully clothed, never a zipper on him. He's a button guy. Everything is buttoned. No, Valor said he saw a gigantic boomerang-shaped object hovering about 500 feet above his house, flashing colored lights. He attempted to film it, but only got the standard grainy white lights on a black sky footage that Mm. we usually get when people try to capture the image of a nighttime UFO. Right. But he wasn't the only person to see it that night. A warehouse foreman named Edwin Hansen saw it as well. Hmm. He said the object shined a spotlight on his car, flooding it with light and scaring the hell out of him. But he said someone or something began communicating with him. Hmm. He said, quote, I felt thoughts that weren't my own, but a kind voice telling me not to be afraid. <laughs> and he's a foreman. You can trust him. He's in charge. And this whole, the whole a voice speaking yeah. in your head telling you not to be afraid, it was a very common occurrence over the next couple of years and all the sightings to come. Okay. And we'll get into the whole scale, but it's actually the official definition of a close encounter. Yeah. Normally, mm. sightings, a general sighting is something that you see scientifically. According to Hynek, it's something's got to be a thousand feet away from you. It's like something way up distance in the sky. A close encounter is something close to you, mm. yeah. something within 500 feet, and then sometimes we'll have a communication with you, but we'll get to all of that. A couple of months later, on February 26th, more people had encounters with the Westchester boomerang. <laughs> Most notably, a woman who gave the name of Monique O'Driscoll. Okay. This is what she said she saw as the craft moved over a frozen lake. Red and blue lights were reflecting off the ice. There were a few amber lights in between, and the one in the middle was a big amber light. Three or four minutes later, the object started moving away, baking off. I got a little upset. I said to myself, oh, please don't go. I want to look at you some more. At that split second, it stopped, made a complete turn. And then it was facing toward me. Then it started moving toward me very slowly, (laughs) Henry Thomas. It sounds like a, a, a um, an episode of like All in the Family or something. Well, remember all this takes place in upstate New York City. Right. All yeah. This is all in Westchester. Right. So there's all just people that sound like my family. Um, but a, 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 but at the same time, this fucking crazy. I can't imagine seeing. Like I try to put myself in this spot of like looking up and just seeing this huge silent object. Right. Just coming at you, and it seems to be responding to your thoughts. Like it, like it can, it's communicating with you. Okay. And again, this phenomenon was witnessed by more than one person that night. As Monique stood watching the UFO slowly move away, a car full of kids pulled up. And when Monique asked them if they'd seen the object, they said they'd been tracking it for miles, adding that nobody was going to believe what any of them had seen that night. Wow. Now, how old are the kids here? Six, seven years old? We're talking little rascals. <laughs> They're all in the car. Yeah, it's the little yeah. rascals. <laughs> he stole a car. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You can, you can trust them. Kids it's don't lie. 
<laughs> but also think about that. It's like she's having she's having a close encounter of the third kind, and then Stranger Things just shows up. Right. Like the whole the whole plot of Stranger Things just walks into her life. Yeah. All right. The largest number of sightings occurred just a month later on two separate nights in March of 1983. On March 17th, the craft appeared in the night sky near Interstate 84. It was so visible, so large, that highway traffic stopped to a standstill as people got out of their cars to take a better look. This is hundreds of people we're talking about here. Honestly, dude, it's crazy. And there are cops that are involved. And you literally, the whole Tacoma Parkway in 80, and 84 just shut down. And cars are just pulled to the side. Just all of these group of people just staring at this fucking thing hovering over them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and about the object, a county clerk named Dennis Sant said this. It had numerous lights uh, from end to end, red, green, and white. There seemed to be an amber light coming from it. This was in sequence from one end of the shaft to the other. (laughs) (laughs) I remember saying to myself, I wish I could get a better look at it. And as I was thinking that, it made a 360 turn, swear to God, as if rotating on a whale stopped and started to float in my direction. Like what would I imagine being like with Susan Sarandon in the room? Because she is ethereal. (laughs) She is. This is scary stuff. I'm going to say it. Yeah. Another witness said this. It was a very large V-shaped object, a very massive size. I watched it from the time it left I-84 until the time it hovered for approximately three minutes. And at that point, all the lights seemed to intensify. I don't know if additional lights came on or if some of the same lights got a great deal brighter, but it was maybe three times as bright. Illuminate the whole area. It seemed to be about the width of a football field, and it was a dark, very gray metal. Cool. One week later, the craft returned. Thousands of people reportedly saw the Westchester boomerang in the sky once again, this time in an area of Westchester and Putnam counties three miles wide and 12 miles long. So many people saw the UFO that night that the local police station switchboard was completely unavailable for emergency calls. Whoa. <laughs> so people are getting murdered. Yeah. That's There's literally like bank, churches burning down. Yeah. A bank is getting robbed. My it's goodness. a great idea for, for uh, honestly, that's a fun idea almost for a heist movie. Right. Of all of this shit going on in the town while there's a massive UFO just slowly coasting over the city. Exactly. Now, despite this, one local police officer shrugged the whole thing off, saying, stable people don't report UFOs. Meanwhile, he's crying because he didn't get his fucking uh, hot dog whistle, like in the Santa Claus. (laughs) Now, since two groups of people 15 miles apart both saw something at the same time, it's speculated that there could have been two UFOs in flight the night of March 24th. Hmm. Either way, the object was massive. Cool. This is what a bus driver from Carmel, New York said, a guy named Mark Galley. And you trust him with your kids. <laughs> absolutely. And bus drivers have seen some shit. Oh, yeah. absolutely. So if they're impressed by anything, <laughs> yeah. I think it's big. Oh, my God. Because they've seen people just bleed out, guys with their dick out, all sorts of, I don't know what, ha- what else happens Tough on a job. bus. I try not to use it. I said to myself, I wish this thing would come back my way so I could get a better look. And as I did, it started drifting towards me as if it was responding to my thoughts. I then got back in the car and left as the UFO approached because I had the feeling it was watching me. It was as big as a football field. I hit the gas pedal and sped away. I was upset 
and frightened. All right. Speed five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> speed, speed five. five. Get away from the UFO. <laughs> the first reported sighting that night occurred at 7.30 p.m. The last came two hours later. Mm. It was two hours of sightings on one night. Now, even though the mainstream media ignored the sightings at first, Uh-oh. the Westchester Rockland Daily item was they- not so quick to let a big story slip through their fingers. And a hero comes along. <laughs> <laughs> They published a front page headline that read, Hundreds claim to have seen UFO. And who should see this but a mailman in Port Chester, New York. And who should this mailman deliver mail to but Dr. J. Allen Hynek and Phil Imbrogno. Wow. Whoa. According to Imbrogno, he and his colleague were walking down the street when their mailman came up to them and yelled, Hey, did you hear about it? Hundreds of UFOs! It's right here in the newspaper! I just feel like it was such a better time to be alive. No internet, no social media. You got your news from the mailman <laughs> who yelled it at, chased you down the street, yelling it at you. Hey! Hey, buddy, here about them UFOs! Hey, come closer! It's me, your mailman! I'm just joking, I'm not gonna kill anybody. Many years until that phenomenon happens. Um. Oh, but think about this, though. What I like, too, about these mass sightings is that so many people, the way they talk about it, they had personal interactions with the UFO. Each one of them, you see how they all said, like, I felt like I wanted to see more and the thing turned towards me. There are many people saying this. Yeah. And I think that's a that speaks to the psychic part of the UFO sighting phenomena is that you're, you're essentially morphing it by your observation on an individual basis. It's something very charming about the scene. Yeah, very much. I yeah. mean, it's very movie-like. That's why yeah. people keep saying, like, uh, again and again, when people describe this object, they all say... It looks like something out of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, I mean, I, they should make a film. You know, get the the Burbs type uh, type characters in there. It would be, be pretty. Fun. I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of like. You remember uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Gulf Breeze sightings. Now that is the Burbs. That's, yeah, that's, that's the that Burbs. <laughs> Anytime an elderly person is out in their underwear <laughs> screaming at the uh, screaming at the sky, that's a good movie. To me, this is way more of a uh, batteries not included. Yeah, oh, yeah this is this is that type of eighties nostalgic kind UFO movie that gets people to me it's very inspiring it's like I feel like this is the kind of story that would get people interested in UFOs yeah mm-hmm. well Dr. Hynek and Phil and Brogno, after shaking the mailman and reading the story they assembled their investigative team made up exclusively of members from Hynek's Center for UFO Studies KUFOS oh sounds like the cast of the dream team <laughs> very <laughs> deep cut listen to this dream team oh right. There was Fred Dennis, MUFON Symposium Reporter, 1978. <laughs> Not good to have two first names. I like I'll it. never, I'll, honestly, that is the one thing against him that I, I don't like. I, maybe it would be better if it was Frederick Dennis, but. There was Sheila Sabo, legitimate researcher extraordinaire who went on to write Colonials, Indians, and the Great Swamp Fight of 1637. Cool. There was Chris Clark, who went on to write the less legitimate ancient clones of the Mojave. (laughs) And George Lesnick, who needs no introduction. Yeah, how do we know George Lesnick? That name rings a bell. I could not find a single thing on George Lesnick. Either George mm, ah, yes, Lesnick, nice. either George Lesnick was a pseudonym, or he went on to become a financial advisor in Jersey City. Okay, he was the seltzer man. He manned <laughs> the Soda Stream, and he kept saying, "You guys need more spa water." 
Anybody want a spa water? Anybody want like a snack or granola? I brought granola. I just try to keep you fueled. I know that this is a lot of there's a lot of work happening, so I'm just kind of a den mother. So yeah, and all these people were locals, you know, okay. like they all lived uh, in and around uh, the Hudson Valley. All right. So this team spent two years interviewing hundreds of people who saw the UFO, and all during the investigation, sightings continued to occur. On March 25th, 1984, almost a year exactly after the second mass sighting, the Westchester boomerang returned oh. and was seen by two to three hundred witnesses. The Westchester Rockland Daily Item headlined the story with, The UFOs are back and right on schedule. God, this is awesome. And everyone was <laughs> listening is. to Orson Welles on the radio. <laughs> and this is when we had family dinners. <laughs> it's a very good story. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great story. And that night... An engineer named Bobby Boulanger said the lights on the craft shine bright enough to cast shadows on the ground. And then the lights went out one by one, like the Cheshire cat's teeth. That is a metaphor that J. Allen Hynek used quite a bit. He really, there's something about that. He, because he equates all the psychedelic movement of UFOs to be shit like that, where a thing can just appear in front of you like it just because just a straight up it's like your eyes don't recognize it like the old story that we've probably talked about on the show about how when the native americans first saw the boats show up from of when we were when the when white people showed up Ooh, bad day, the Spanish. Bad day. <laughs> but when when they showed up they were the first white people capital s spanish the espanol yes when they showed up they said that they didn't see the boats. They just saw the water rippling weird. Mm. And they couldn't understand it until a shaman came and said, there are fucking boats out there. And then they, the boats appeared to them. Right. Now, on July 12th of that year, thousands more saw the craft. And they again jammed emergency lines. Wow. A law professor named Dr. Richard Long who witnessed the whole thing. <laughs> Come on. You gotta be joking. I will not hear a single joke you know, uh, about my name. I lost four inches of my phallus in Korea. I lost four inches of it yeah. so you hippies can dance. You know, sometimes they, uh, they shorten the word Richard to Dick and then that would make your name a... Uh, well, you got it there. <laughs> No jokes about my name! Uh, well, he witnessed the whole thing on July 12th, and he had this to say about both his and his neighbor's credibility, sir. Okay. You call me Richard, first of all. <laughs> I think I'm a responsible citizen. I'm professor of law at St. John's Law School, so I'm not part of a hoax. My neighbor is a responsible citizen. He's the national vice president of one of the largest cookie companies in the United States. It does seem like when people are like, I'm a responsible citizen, they're also cleaning a gun <laughs> and just like aiming it at a picture of, at this point, probably Ronald Reagan or maybe, uh, you know, who, who knows who else. But I will say this, honestly, I do, I would like to trust the person who owns a cookie company. Yeah, oh, of Because course. they're going to our homeless and to our children and to people who recently had blood drawn. Yes. And they're the weakest. Oh my gosh. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil. 
crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety clack, right? Slack. Same things to my employees. All my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply.
Now explanations were put now explanations were put forth, but none were sufficient enough for the team. Nor for us right. for that matter. The best officials could come up with was that each time, every single time, the lights were from a group of small planes flying in formation, just messing around. Well, that well, sounds even more horrifying. <laughs> yes. Well, they said a lot of times, they said on sp- several nights specifically, I believe all the March 24th night in particular, there was massive wind gusts. There were 30 mile per hour wind gusts happening. And the types of planes that they said they were being used are these things called ultralights, which are essentially lawnmowers with wings on them that kind of float. They're one, single yeah. person riders and they would not be able to stay in formation the way they did and also they they try to blame it on planes but the, the way they talked about how the lights would rotate on a wheel was a, not no, like you have to be such an expert pilot to even think about doing that and then to fly so close together it would be very difficult right yeah. and a bunch of pilots on those ultralight planes actually tried it one night you know oh, they, they do <laughs> No one reported anything. Better or worse than Harrison Ford. Because <laughs> that man cannot keep a plane in the air. It's remarkable. Well, furthermore, an actual videotape, besides the one we mentioned earlier, exists that shows hmm. that although it is not conclusively a UFO, the lights are definitely not coming from planes and almost certainly coming from one solid object. All right. And then there's the reward. The investigators offered a thousand dollar reward for proof that it was all a hoax and nobody came forward. Mm. Thousand bucks is a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot totally. of money now, but like in 1985, that's a ton of money. And you would think someone would just come forward with whatever explanation for a thousand bucks, make something up. Nothing, nothing at all. And in addition to that, people saw the craft up close, you know, 500 feet or less, less, and they reported not a single no- noise that could have been compared to an airplane engine. Hmm. Well, they said there may have been a slight hum. A couple of people said a slight hum came that sounded like a, like something far, something they'd never heard before. But mostly what every single witness said again and again was the most surprising part of it was not even the size of the object, but it was about how completely silent it was. And... There's, there's also something to be said about the way the lights were shaped. They were, they were not something they recognized. They were like soft-edged circles that kind of just appeared. And then some people saw body, like a weird thing, a sh- structure holding the thing together that they said was like a bunch of grates and a bunch of weird little like iron bars holding it together. So we got this, what seems to be a floating prison that sounds like a Radiohead sound check. <laughs> and I just feel like, yeah, you're right, Marcus. I mean, nowadays, what do you, uh, this seems like it would, it would light up uh, the internet. Yeah, you'd think so. But finally, perhaps most disturbingly, craft of this description has been reported multiple times, going all the way back to 1951 in places as far away from New York as Arizona. Hmm. And speaking of scary, the UFO was not just seen hovering above lakes and forests and highways. On July 24th, 1984, the craft appeared 300 feet above reactor number three at the Indian Point nuclear power plant just north of New York City. Now, Henry, what exactly happened here at Indian Point? Well, it seems like it's pretty straightforward. Is that they sat there, it went across... Hudson Valley, they, the video that we have from it. Do you remember the last name of the man 
that did the video was like Oskio Oskio. Yeah. He's a crazy Italian name <laughs> that did the video. And the video, it's like, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool looking. It's pretty legit. We gotta Maybe I'll post it to Twitter or something so you can see it. It coasted over the parking lot of the nuclear power plant. And there are a bunch of security guards are out there just on their daily duty. We're like, what the fuck is that? They have no idea what it is. They call up the radio all the way. It goes all the way up to the top. It goes all the way to their to their boss. And they're like, well, just don't say anything. Don't acknowledge it. We're just, we're going to watch it and see what happens. It hovered above the parking lot and then turned like a, on a wheel again and went right over reactor number three, which was the only one that was active at the time. And all the alarms went off. Mm. The security The security system shut down. This thing is just hovering above it. Meanwhile, it's like, they're staring at this shit. And it is not confirmed, but the one guy that was talking to them said that their their lead officer commanded them to fire at it. And several people shot bullets at this thing just to kind of see how it would react. And it just sat there and then floated off. Well, that'll work. (laughs) It always just shoot at it. But there's just a one in a long line of what seems to be uh, aliens being obsessed with nuclear power. And there's a lot of people that believe that that's the reason why Roswell even happened, because essentially once we gain control of the atom, we uh, started arousing intergalactic attention. So shortly after the sighting at Indian Point, Heineck and Imbrogno got a call from a guy who claimed that he was an NSA employee working on UFOs in, again, an unofficial capacity. Hmm. Essentially, now, he said it was his was, hobby. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. But th- this is the one sad part about UFO investigators as a whole. Um, they are, in a word, ex- exceptionally gullible. Right. Um, and so this guy That's just called. They're, exec- <laughs> they're exceptionally gullible, but they always make sure in their books to talk about how n- not gullible they not are. Not gullible oh, they because, are. Like, there's actually like a, there's a story in Night Siege where the guy is saying, it's like, yeah, we got a call. We got a tip that was obviously fake. It was an obviously fake tip. So we sent our guy along. Right. Uh, to go- <laughs> they sent along a very stable genius. I'm going to say they sent George Lester. George Lester got sent. I'm going to give them the credit that they at least sent him. They sent Seltzer Boy out. But I'm pretty certain. Well, Heineck and Imbrogno got this call from the NSA. Because the one thing about Heineck is that he truly was a scientist. So he did take everything seriously. What we're going to find about Phil Imbrogno is that he loves a drama. So he yeah. was saying, like, this is going to pump up. I could see the dynamic. He's like, this is going to pump up our story. They set up this hotline and they would advertise it. So at this point, they've set up shop in the Hudson Valley. They rented a little office. They're hanging out there. They're getting floods of calls. It's kind of, it's cool as fuck. It's like this little like thing where they kind of, they got to be in the center of all these sightings. Yeah, it's like an alien Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes, it's awesome. They were the guys. And then uh, this guy she calls and just says, I work with the NSA. Right. And they're like, tell me more. Well, I'm just, like immediately jumping in. Now, the NSA, a very secret program for many, many years, were they normally calling people <laughs> and just well, letting them know who, who they are well, and, and why they're calling? Remember, this guy was not calling in his official capacity as an NSA agent. He oh. just told them like, hey, listen, I uh, want to know more about this UFO. By the way, I work for the NSA. Ah. Uh, but I'm not here as an NSA agent. I'm just 
a, a UFO enthusiast. And you can trust that I work for the NSA, judging by the crumbs in my mustache. <laughs> You'll note they are oatmeal raisin. No one who wouldn't work, no one who, you have to like oatmeal raisin if you work for the government. You can also see how flat my butt has become from observing things. <laughs> now, this supposed agent, given the name James Madison by the UFO team, spoke with Imbrogno and Hynek for about an hour about the sightings on that first call. Right. Imbrogno and Hynek said that during the conversation, they would hear a clicking noise about every 15 minutes or so, like what me and Henry used to hear when we talk about 9-11 on the phone for that, hours. That's right. Do you remember those easy days, those carefree days that Dogmeat and I would spend just talking about 9-11 for two or three hours at a time, right. and the government would listen, and then we'd talk about dating, and then they'd shut off. I remember that. They would uh, absolutely, as soon as we started talking about like our dating lives and personal lives and relationships, you just heard, click, click out. Oh, we're fucking boring, you know? Oh, this is boring to you? Now, over the course of that first conversation, they learned that Madison had top security clearance and specialized in satellite intelligence, or so he said. Now, they never actually say how they found out that this person truly was an NSA agent, but they assure us in Night Siege that he was definitely, without a doubt, a member of the NSA, and definitely not a guy that was just yanking their chain. Well, they have an well, office. You got to believe them. They have an office and a yeah. phone line. And technically, I now have the same thing, so I'm just as legitimate. And I say that you're from the NSA, Kissel. Uh -huh. And you have, congrats. You're going to get health care. Thank um, you. But uh, Heineck said he checked it out. So the problem is that I, I'm such a nerd for Heineck that I believed that he did make the right calls. Now, did Heineck say that he checked it out? Because I believe in Night Siege, it just says, we checked it out. God, it could have just been, God damn it, broke, no. Yeah. And, and God damn you, I'm broke. I don't know. <laughs> I think they might just be taking his word for it. Yeah, they, they very much might be. Yeah. I, I'm not, they were curious and they were having a good time. Yeah. Okay. Well, the thing is, though, they did actually meet him. See, Madison wanted to get his hands on the videotape that supposedly captured the UFO. Oh. And, of course, the team wasn't going to just hand it over with no quid pro quo. Right. So they showed up to their meeting with a blank tape instead. At the meeting, in an odd house full of people that just seemed to shuffle from room to room, not acknowledging the visitors or... Agent Madison himself. That's every single hipster party. <laughs> no one talks to each other. Everyone is too cool to have a friend. Did you not see the tidbit that he lived with his family? Well, the tidbit... I wasn't sure if it was his family or I thought yes. they said that it was he lives just with his weird people. It said he lived with his mother and his brother mm. And, mm. and they showed up to this guy's house who said he worked for the NSA, which I got to believe you're making at least 45 a year. <laughs> I would think right? so. Working for the NSA. <laughs> and so he's living here with his mom's basement. And I'd like to think that Alan Hynek twitched his Van Dyke a little bit and was like, I think we've made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when he brings out the ginger snaps it's, that his mom just made. So he's living like the bodyguard for, uh, for Tanya Harding, uh, just yes. in the basement yes, of his parents' is. house. <laughs> no, you taped over my favorite episode. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, he, the guy actually took them out to the back porch 
for a little more privacy. Uh, and they talked about... Shut up, know. Mom. <laughs> I'm having a Shut conversation. Shut up, Mom. I'm trying to talk to UFOs with my new UFO friends. You guys want a Fanta? I hate when my mom listens to my meetings with my UFO friends. <laughs> oh, the team sat down with them in the backyard and told Madison that they couldn't turn over the tape without an assurance of information exchange. Mm. And then Madison responded with this. You know, Phil, the government has done away with people for a lot less. Yeah, hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're threatening to kill me? No, I'm threatening to give you some Diet Coke and the aspartame eventually will give you cancer. Ah, uh, the long con. <laughs> but they called his bluff, and he only spoke to them one more time before he disappeared forever. Okay. But really, these guys didn't have time to worry too so, much. What was the point of this guy? <laughs> I, what, there, what is the no, point? there is no, no point. There is no point. There's no point to this guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but really, these guys, they didn't have time to worry about about a federal agent threatening to kill him because they had an event to plan. Oh. It was the big night. It was the big night, Marcus. They went and they were so excited because they needed to put together a conference and there's one thing that UFO guys love more than anything else in the face of the world is throwing a conference because then the, it's the nerdiest way of bringing people to a party. You don't have to go to a party. You just have the party. Right. And then you get snacks. And so they went looking for whatever what they were like, they sat and there was a whole section of the chapter of Night Siege. So they're like, and we needed to figure out the proper place to hold an event such as this on a, a, a momentous event. And we found the perfect place. Henry Wells Middle School. They were right. obsessed with it. Okay, they so, loved it. So this is the montage scene where it all happens yes. very quickly yeah. and they're listening to every uh, everyone's working for the weekend. Oh, yeah. They, they work together. <laughs> come on, come on. Let's work together. Saying, like, welcome aliens in a big, like, sign up top and putting out ginger snaps. They got the recipe from James Madison. So this is actually at a middle school. This is It's at a 500-seat auditorium oh, in okay. a middle school in Brewster, New York. And this actually doing this whole conference thing, it turned out to be the right move because now the press had an actual event to cover right. rather than just people saying, hey, I saw something. The UPI wrote up a story and sent it out on the wire. And pretty soon the team's UFO hotline was ringing off the hook. And with anything like that, they got a couple of strange calls. Strangest, without a doubt, was a guy who said his name was Tarso. I imagine the secretary is like the woman in Twin Peaks. <laughs> she is like the best secretary ever. Yes. yes. Dr. Hynek, please answer the phone. It's the one that's blinking on the red line. <laughs> God damn it. And as far as Tarso went, Tarso said he'd been a crew member on one of the spaceships above Hudson Valley. And he gave the whole like boilerplate, we're here to take you away because your planet is dying. And... Then he never really called back. Remember again, the name is Tarso. Do not write Torso. Torso is an insult on my planet, the butt planet. We're all made of butts. Oh, oh wow. Oh, cool. Interesting. Another guy who just called himself the alien said there was going to be a sighting that night. That is the least creative human being on Earth. Oh, uh, hey, what's going on? See you with online? What's going on? Hey, man. Hey, you, uh, you record... Uh, uh, sightings and shit. Yeah, That's what yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah. My name's 
the alien. <laughs> shut up. Shut up, Greg. Shut up. It's going to be a fucking... It's going to be an alien sighting in the night. You check it out, you fucking idiot. Wow. <laughs> well, the thing was that he said there was going to be an alien sighting that night in Danbury, Connecticut, and there was. Whoa. There totally was that night. I mean, it's... The way that Night Siege breaks it down <laughs> is that they were told specific coordinates... And they sent, again, who I believe to be George Lesnick, because Alan Hynek several times, it is brought up in Night Seed several times, there's a couple of these side quests that are brought up to Alan Hynek. And he always just like, yeah, somebody should check that out. <laughs> but he sends somebody else, like he doesn't do it. And so it's always George Lesnick. They went out to this location. So it wasn't actually seen in Danbury. It was seen like... 10 miles from the location where it was. Yeah, and like so they pulled it in. So they say, but you see, no, but, but there actually was a sighting, but five miles from where they told us where the sighting was going to be. And it was just George Lesnick sitting alone in a field with a cooler. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, none of these crank calls, none of them put a damper on the conference. It was still coming up and it was still exciting. In right. fact, they had the middle school's complete support as <laughs> many members of the PTA had witnessed the UFO themselves. Even stuffy old Dick Blasberg of the school board was on board. All right. I believe in aliens and I'll allow dancing again. <laughs> dancing is legal again. There had to be like one fat kid like from the movie Up who was just like super into it. Now remember, the, auditor the auditorium they reserved held 500, which the team actually considered to be way too large. Yeah, so they're like, oh, Jesus, we're going to have maybe half that. But on the day of the conference... Something magical happened. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, the Christmas miracle, Kissel. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. 1,500 people, including 75 members of the media, wow. showed up to hear about the Hudson Valley sightings. It was a huge success. Cool. It was. The conference, it even went, it went two hours past where it was supposed to be. It was supposed to end at 10, and it ended at midnight. And you know that Alan Hynek fell asleep at 10.30 because 10 p.m. is his, is his bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> he said that to everyone. The frogs were farting extra hard that night. The sun was, the moon was bright. <laughs> and I don't know, and I don't know if this is true, but Imbrogno claimed it was undoubtedly the largest UFO meeting ever held in the U.S. And in 1985, maybe it was. Could be, yeah. It was possible. Um, my question, Marcus, is did it say anywhere that they raised any money to maybe pay any of these staffers or <laughs> or do anything to help their research or uh, uh, anything like that? Uh, I think you know the pro bono nature of UFO investigators. Yeah, yeah, I think I do. It seems to be they just ask for a lot of money, and then they because they don't make any. They, they need to figure that out. Yeah, might have taken a loss there. And so soon after, all of the data and interviews were gathered. The book was pretty much written by a fellow named Bob Pratt, as Imbrogno is a terrible writer, uh, and it was all published under the name Night Siege. And unfortunately, soon after the publication of the book, or possibly before the publication mm. of the book, it was definitely the same year, Dr. J. Allen Hynek died of a brain tumor at the age of 75. Check, oh, please. What? Good luck on the other side, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Yeah, absolutely. 75, good age, you know. Good age, uh, but double, unfortunately. Phil Imbrogno, now given legitimacy by working with Dr. Hynek, and having a book with his name right next to one of the most respected UFO researchers in history figured it was his time to shine. All right. Now, that's the thing about legacy. 
And I think we're learning a lot about that as a country right now in terms of like when someone takes over another previous person's job and they can just just fuck it all. Just do whatever <laughs> the fuck it is that they want. With it. Just run wild with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is what Phil Imbrogno did. Phil Imbrogno cherry picked a couple of ideas that Heineck, after decades of research and talking to some of the smartest people in the world, working with the government, shit that he was still just playing with. Like the book, The Edge of Reality, plays with some of the most fucking highbrow, ridiculous philosophical ideas. And then he gave it to the Bob Hoskins shaped <laughs> Philan Broke no, to just run, to just do whatever the fuck yeah. he no, was going to do. Henry, I got to ask you, whenever you mention the, the book, uh, The Edge of Reality, are you contractually obligated to hold it? Because <laughs> it's, it's an audio medium, and every time he mentions it, he makes sure to present it to Marcus and I, uh, just so we know that he has the book, he has thumbed through the book, and he intends to read I, it further. It's very good. <laughs> well, I also, you know, I kind of have some questions about like the publication of Night Siege uh, and uh, Phil and, Bro- and Alan Hynek's uh, involvement in uh, particularly like the last couple of drafts of it. Uh, because, I mean, the man died of a brain tumor in 1986 mm. at the age of 75. And I'm sure that was not something that just showed up. And no. and happened. I'm sure it was a, a long a, a long process. So I'm not sure how much Heineck was involved in like the final drafts of Night Siege, especially because there's some things in Night Siege that I don't know if Heineck really wanted in there. Because like mm. as we said earlier in the episode, Heineck and Ambrogno's theories on UFOs dovetailed, meaning that Ambrogno was influenced by Heineck's other dimension theories, but they wildly diverged when it came to the aliens themselves. Okay. Heineck didn't like talking about abductions. I have a little bit of information on that. It's that it seems like Heineck was way more in and out during the night siege time from 82 to 85. He was in and out because he's always kind of doing speaking engagements and he was writing and he was still working with the government and various universities. He was still doing shit. Um, and it seemed like, yes, Film Brogno ran with his shit. And a part of what that's what, so in the beginning of this whole series, like the, the difference between the Hudson Valley sightings and the Phoenix Lights, which is the other, one of the most famous mass UFO sightings in the world, is that the Hudson Valley sightings came with a lot of uh, abduction material that comes with many, many people seeing mm. UFOs. You're going to see that a lot. A lot of times what we saw with Gulf Breeze, what you see with uh, many different stories is that if people see a UFO and they feel that they speak to it, a lot of times abduction stories follow. But what we talked about is that Heineck said, I don't want to cover the shit. When Phil and Brogno just barely held back. Mm. Phoenix Light also Phoenix Lights also the only basketball team to beat the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> Very good basketball team, the Phoenix Lights. Well, for an example of how these two guys uh, diverge, let's go through Heineck's encounter scale All right. along with Imbrogno's later additions that happened after Heineck died. Mm. A close encounter of the first kind is a sighting of a UFO at close range within 600 feet. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the Hudson Valley sightings were of the first kind. Mm. The second kind is when a UFO leaves a physical trace, like burns or depressions in the ground or broken tree limbs. Mm. A close encounter of the third kind is when a person actually sees an alien creature outside of the spacecraft just kind of milling around. Those were the only three encounters that Heineken intended. Okay. Others added more. The classification of the fourth kind was first added by an associate of Heineck's and Henry's favorite, Jacques Vallée. He said, 
a fourth kind encounter was when a witness experienced a transformation in their sense of reality. Yeah, fucker! <laughs> Gay dude! But that's like this shit when the alien picks you up and then you come back down and then you can play piano. Or, the, oh. the, or when you go when the alien comes up. It does happen like that. You incredulous no, bastard. I, I believe the alien, it. Also when someone's been, been probed or mm. has been got an implant put on them, the negative side of it as well. Right. Yeah. Sometimes people wake up from comas and they know how to speak other languages. Yeah. And uh, and they can play a whole series of different things with their feet. Oh yeah, I've got a yeah. whole yeah, I got a whole theory of the collective unconsciousness on that, which also plays into Henry's alien theory. Maybe someday we'll work together on that. I want us to spend our elderly years. I've already explained this to Natalie. There will be a time when I go on a knowledge-seeking quest, and we leave everything behind, and we will go and we will write our philosophical books, Marcus. Yeah. And we will get we'll get hot stone massages sometimes, <laughs> yep. and we'll be together, and we'll go on a lake, and we'll go on a boat sometimes, and we'll get drunk some, and then we'll, we'll, we'll fish and we'll write. Yeah. God, that sounds beautiful. I think it's going to lead to a strange death. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but it's going to be anticlimactic, I, you know. Yes, yes. I'm going to just fall in the kitchen and just bash my head on the counter, and then he's got to deal with my body. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jacques Fillet's classification of a close encounter of the fourth kind is pretty legit and falls in line with Hynek's own hypotheses. Imbrogno, though, goes a little trashier with it, as Imbrogno tends to do. Mm. He said a close encounter of the fourth kind is an abduction against the witness's will, which I suppose could be an interpretation of Valet's hypothesis. Then there's a close encounter of the fifth kind. That's when there is a meaningful communication between humans and otherworldly intelligences, usually through channeling an alien intelligence through another human. Oh. And needless to say... Imbrogno and Heineck had pretty opposing views on what the focus of the Hudson Valley investigation should be. Dr. Heineck, the actual scientist, wanted to keep it firmly in the CE1 category, Close Encounter 1. Okay. And Heineck would keep to that, for the most part. There are brief abduction stories in Night Siege, but nothing outlandish, and probably, I would imagine, Heineck didn't even know those were going in there. Mm. After Heineck died, though... Imbrogno would skip CE2, blow right through CE3 and 4, mm. and plant himself personally right in the middle of a CE5. Oh, my goodness. Loves a drama. Loves, loves drama. Now, ten years after the publication of Night Siege, Phil Imbrogno published a book with a woman named Marianne Horrigan called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Oh. It is chalk full of wacky bullshit concerning Hudson Valley, in addition to a whole lot else, which we will now get into. She should have also had an 80s sitcom called Here Again, Horrigan. <laughs> uh, all about how she's she's back in her own small town. Former sex worker, now she's living in the suburbs. <laughs> I'd watch it. Uh, starring um, Brooke Shields. So this is, uh, this is another thing I'll say, too. Now... As a, as a UFO enthusiast myself, yeah, I read Night Siege, and yeah, it's impressive because it's scientific and it's dry, and I'm holding up the book mm -hmm. so that they could see that I brought it to the new yes. studio. <laughs> but yes, I mean, of course, have it on your bookshelf. It's necessary. But if you're actually a UFO enthusiast, you will purchase Contact of the Fifth Kind by Phil Imbrogno, and you will attempt to digest this because that is your burden another that book that you're holding you. up wow <laughs> yes but that is your burden as a ufo enthusiast you have to buy 
and read these things and come to understand that some of it's very interesting and very cool. I think the abduction stuff in Contact of the Fifth Kind is pretty legit. I believe in the abduction scenario. I think what they say, because in order to admit it, you'd have to be, it's pretty embarrassing to say all this shit's happening to you and the way that it does happen to people. But it's also the last 40 pages of this book are about him spelunking with this woman <laughs> in a cave. We'll get to it, but it is nonsense. Okay. <laughs> so the first Hudson Valley abduction that is covered in Contact of the Fifth Kind happened in 1984 at the height of the UFO sightings when a computer programmer named Bill, as he's called, mm. was driving home from work late one night. While driving down a desolate road near Stormville, New York, the Westchester boomerang settled over Bill's car. Bill said when he looked up, the craft looked like a Star Wars Star Destroyer. Oh. Triangular with a whole mess of grids, portals, and lights underneath. Yeah. He also said that when he was driving, he drove and he, he saw this thing pass over. And he was like, okay, whatever. I don't know what the fuck that was. I'm not going to pay attention to it. He kept driving. Then all of a sudden... He was on a part of the road that he didn't recognize. And there was a big plot of land next to him that used to always be empty. He used to drive back and forth across at all time. And he said what he saw was a gigantic triangle-shaped shadow, which is, to me, in my mind, kind of like David Lynch. It's very Lynchy yeah. horror imagery. And this shit was freaky as fuck. It fucking hovered above the thing. It's like, imagine just seeing a fuck, you're just seeing a shadow, yeah. just like hanging out there, and it's living and moving. And then it passes over the car, and then he just wakes up. Yeah, mm. 600 feet down the hill from where he first saw the UFO, and he was missing an hour of time. Oh, he did not. Maybe daylight savings time. <laughs> no, we, it was not no, daylight we savings. Have no. to, we have to check off all the possible boxes. And I don't even know why we still do that, quite honestly. I don't know either. Okay. Thomas Jefferson liked it. Yeah, that was a long time. He liked a lot of other things, yes. too, that we got away with. <laughs> yes, he did. Very problematic things. He didn't immediately remember what had happened, but all of it was revealed under hypnosis. Ooh. Bill said after he was taken up into the UFO, because he was obviously taken up into the UFO. Naturally. He said he opened his eyes and he was lying on a table. He was approached by six creatures, small creatures, with black, shark-like eyes and big heads. They told him, quote, Do not be fearful. We need you. You have been selected. And then they brought out a big check. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Publishers Clearinghouse Alien Edition. It's never good to be selected. Very rarely. NBA drafts, NFL drafts, any kind of sports draft. Other than that, it's jury duty, mm -hmm. alien abductions, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, just further security checks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of these aliens began moving a device that looked like a dustbuster up and down next to Bill's head. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And the more the alien moved the device, the more Bill's head painfully vibrated. Up and down, oh, up and down, up and me. down. My friend! Oh, oh, what are you doing to me? What are you doing here? You've been selected. This is fun. This is fun for us. Uh, when Bill protested, actually, they kind of did say that. They said they had a right to do whatever they wanted. And besides, nobody was really getting hurt. That's a dustbuster. Yeah. And that's when Bill's alien adventures came to a close. Odd thing is, though, that road should not have been as desolate as it was. It wasn't a super busy road, but, you know, people still drove it pretty often. And Brogno said that a quote-unquote motorist whom he had talked to who regularly drove that stretch of road 
said he remembered that night. Uh-huh. And you can tell the difference between someone who just drives a car and a quote-unquote motorist right. is it has to be a Bentley. You drive with gloves. Right. You have those round driving glasses and those newsboy hats. Yes. And you have to have no destination. No, no, no. you're just cruising. You're just cruising. You're just cruising. That's you have it. no family. You live in that car. Right. Now, the motorist said the road had been blocked off on each side by men in hard hats and yellow clothing. Hmm. Was it just a coincidence? Were these aliens making sure Bill was alone? Or were they colluders? Collusion! Okay. <laughs> we just don't know. Construction we workers. Don't we know. just don't know. We don't know. We, no. Okay. No, we don't know. Maybe some potholes on the road that had to be <laughs> No, we don't know. We, don't know. we, don't we just already don't know. said that okay. we do not know. We don't know. <laughs> we okay. just don't know. Hard hats leads me to believe they might be working construction. We don't, we just don't know. Stone speed, it's, it's a double, uh, so maybe... No say. Double we do not know. Okay. A couple months after that, there was another incident involving a car. A man named Sean and his girlfriend, Sally, were driving to Mahopak on Route 6 following a party at a friend's house. Sean it's po- probably like Mahopak or some weird upstate New York pronunciation because all, all, all of the Native American towns are like... Mahaka Baka Baka, yeah. where they all say, and you just don't know how you pronounce Massapequa. it. Massapequa. Yeah. And probably someone's going to say, yeah, actually, it's Massapequa. Wisconsin has a lot of Native American towns as well. Yeah? Yes. How do you do with them? You just say, you say it. No, with, but with how, are you, how are you with them? Milwaukee. <laughs> Chippewa Falls. <laughs> Mohegan Sun. I know all of them. That's not, is, that a, is that a town it's from a Wisconsin, Mohegan Sun? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Now, Sean pulled over to investigate what he thought was a small grass fire. But it turned out it was actually a kind of lure laid out by the aliens lurking in the darkness. Gotcha, bitch. (laughs) And Sean got out of the car to look at the strange light, but was soon beset upon by a whole gang of creatures. Honestly, though, it's kind of fun. He goes out there because, again, as you hear a lot of abduction scenarios, he was strangely drawn to this this thing. And his girlfriend the whole time is like, why are you pulling over? Why are you pulling over? And he's like, shut up, damn it. I'm doing something curious. I'm being curious. I think Sally he might have a good over. point. Shot, Sally was correct. And so he goes over there and straight up looking at this fire and all of a sudden, <laughs> these creatures just come out of the fucking woods. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And he ran back to the car and told his girlfriend to lock the doors and hide in the back seat under a blanket. And the aliens followed him and tried to open the door by passing their hands in front of the window glass. That didn't work. Uh, because idiots. apparently car car handles were beyond their intellectual grasp. Dude, no, though. They're fucking psychic projections. That's what <laughs> sort of makes sense to me now is that they're somewhere else and they're kind of dealing in a weird like haze of like, where are we right now? And they couldn't understand how what cars were. Mm. <laughs> uh, they tried scaring Sean out of the car by projecting terrifying images of the car being on fire in his mind. Car fire, car fire, get out. Right. But Sean did not budge. All Sean knew, he said, was that they were not there for him. They were there for Sally. Oh, no. Sean said the only thing he could think to do was yell at them, she's already had a hysterectomy. (laughs) He don't know why he yelled that. He has no clue. I, for some reason, imagine it, this is not the first time that this has happened, that he screamed, she's already had a hysterectomy (laughs) in several other inappropriate Scenarios. But she hadn't had a hysterectomy. Oh, she hadn't. No, she just yelled that. Oh. Because he thought it would make them go away. Okay. But the next thing they knew, they were still in their car, but the sun was coming up. Hours had been missing. And the couple didn't really talk about it to each other. Mm. And a week later, they broke up. 
It's Sa- hard to make things last. Sally left the area completely, and Sean refused to undergo hypnosis. So the rest of the story is a mystery. All right. Wow. Well, hopefully she's... It was a good one. That is yeah. a good one. It was a good one. Now, yeah, she she um, she um got the fuck out of there. Yeah. yeah. Now, at this point, Contact of the Fifth Kind jumps on a bit of a tangent when it comes to Hudson Valley. The book itself is not fully about Hudson Valley anyway, but rather a whole mess of subjects. Okay. So he... He fools us. <laughs> so what Phil Imbrogno does with this book is that he says, so these stories all came out during the investigation of the Hudson Valley sightings. A lot of these stories came and Heineck's like, I don't want to deal with this shit. So he kind of gets the audience by saying this book's about what was left out of Night Siege. Mm-hmm. But then he goes off on some dumb shit. Yeah, because there wasn't a lot that was left out of... There was enough for a pamphlet left okay. out of Night Siege. Yes. So there had yes. to be a lot of padding on this All one. All right. And, you know, in Brogno, he covers Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then the Fourth, both in Hudson Valley. And this all does circle back to Hudson Valley, eventually, okay. kind of, sort of. But before we get to that, we got to talk about Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Uh-oh. Specifically, Channeling. Okay. Channeling to me is my favorite of the dumb subjects in alien shit. Yeah. It's my favorite of them because it's the most made up and it's the most just like what I do. Like it's just it's just people playing characters. Mm-hmm. Is it what I it's do people- every single night with a twelve pack of Bud Light as I flip through uh, the Food Network, HGTV? You pretending uh, you're someone else? No, I'm flipping through the television. <laughs> no, that's, that's not called aging. Oh, you're aging. aging. I see. Uh, and Brogo says that channeling is when a medium is in mental contact with another human, non-human, or superhuman intelligence. That intelligence communicates through the medium, either verbally or by automatic writing or drawing. Uh, and yes. to his credit, Imbrogno does point out that he does believe that most of the people uh, that claim they can channel are making it up as they go along, uh, as for some reason the majority of people uh, switch to specifically an Indian accent when they channel. Yes. Huh. Yes, it's okay. out. It's because it's the most of me mysterious accent. Yep. Like if I was going to pretend to be an alien, I feel like that's the one where you just go like, oh, no, I'm from another planet because it's not <laughs> oh, racist then because I you're an see. alien. I was thinking Native American, but we're talking India. No, here. we're talking, we're talking, yeah, he says Indian or Middle Eastern. It was the 80s. <laughs> it was the 80s, so. But some people who channel, and Brogno claims, are the real deal. One of the actual channelers is a fascinating man named Dean Fagerstrom. Now, whether this guy is telling the truth or not, he is an absolutely fascinating person. Okay. Now, one night in 1966, while Dean was stationed in Germany during a stint in the army, Dean said he began to feel a presence in the house where he was living. He looked down at the whiteboard where he had been working on a system to beat the lottery when slowly <laughs> a human face began to appear. Ooh. Then another face appeared and beside the first. I think that if you already believe that you can beat the lottery just using your mind and just using a bunch of numbers, this is more likely to happen to you. Yeah, could be. <laughs> the man who appeared had shoulder-length blonde hair, and the woman had hair that was a little darker and a little shorter. But both had the piercing blue eyes of what sounds like Nordic aliens. Yes. Then Dean heard a voice next to his ear as if it was coming from thin air. The voice said, My name is Donestra, and this is my wife, 
Kilestra. It sounds like they sound like Alestra ripoffs. Yeah. <laughs> they informed him that they were a part of thousands of races who studied Earth, and Dean had been chosen for communication. Lucky guy. But he was not to tell anyone that he had been contacted. As proof of their existence, though, they flew a ship outside his window, performing performing astounding maneuvers and amazing tricks. You got a show. You got a show. Wow. Think about how cool that is. <laughs> I wish I could do that, like, if I promised you guys something, like, we're going to go see a thing or I owe you something. And then in order to show you that you can believe me, I just sent a UFO at you. And you guys just go, whoa. Oh, <laughs> cool. Wow. But after that, it was all quiet for a year. Until Dean returned to, interestingly, the Hudson Valley town of Brewster, New York. Wow. On January 19th, 1968, Dean awoke at 4.30 in the morning to see an object that looked like an old microphone slowly materialize from thin air. Mm. The object then floated towards him, making a high-pitched buzzing noise. It was only a few inches from his head when it began to vibrate, causing Dean's head to vibrate along with it. This went on for a few minutes until finally the object disappeared and Dean passed out. Ooh. And when Dean awoke the next morning, he discovered he had a new talent. And within three days, Dean said he had drawn 32 intricate, honestly beautiful diagrams of alien machinery with no true idea of what they were or how exactly he was suddenly able to draw them. Very cool. It's pretty sweet, and they look pretty cool. And he said that he would look at a piece of paper, like a piece of graph paper, and then blue dots would show up on it, and he would follow the dots, and then voices would tell him what to call, how to shadow it. It's cool. Yeah. yeah, he's a real artist. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, he was informed that it had all come from Donestra. Mm. For years, the two communicated, so much so that Dean wrote two 500-page manuscripts about their conversations, The Book of Solarian and The Celestial Citizen, both unfortunately unpublished. You don't understand. There have been a new version of it with a new channeler named by a guy named Jacob M. Drake that wrote a book called The Many Worlds of the Solarians mm. because that's the world where they came from, Denestra and Cholestra, they came from Solaria, and so there's a bunch of people they're talking to, so your ignorance, I guess, can be <laughs> forgiven for now. All right. Well, eventually, though, the drawings would end up in the hands of Phil and Brogno. At some point in the 80s, I think, as the timelines in uh, Contact of the Fifth Kind are pretty fuzzy, Phil discovered Dean and started meeting with him. During one meeting, the two were discussing the drawings when Dean stopped short and went silent for about a minute. And when he came to, he told Phil that Denestra had just visited and had instructed him to turn over the drawings to Phil for safekeeping. Oh. And Dean told him, quote... You will know what to do with them when the time comes. And Dean did other weird shit, too, according to Phil. <laughs> he could supposedly channel the spirit of a 19th century piano virtuoso named Franz Liszt mm. and could duplicate his style despite having no formal training whatsoever. Well, look at that. Yeah, he claimed that this was... This happened after a bunch of little hooded men opened up his head and installed ruby crystals, which also made him a mathematical genius, which is a skill that he used to win the lottery every once in a while, but only enough to pay for living expenses. Wow. But it's interesting, but he has won the lottery several times. Yeah, and he did, And huh? he, but he could play, and what he says is that Franz Liszt's jumps into his brain he can play one song and record it but he can never play it live and he can never play it again oh no it can only be one 
Oh no, he remember he did he said that in one paragraph, but in the next paragraph he actually did play it for Phil and Brogno. Uh because in my book in my copy of Contact of the Fifth Kind, it is oh, heavily yes. notated uh by whoever owned that. it before. Uh and in the the paragraph where it says he could only play it once and only play it recorded, the guy wrote in the ma- margins, sounds like a con game. And then two <laughs> paragraphs later, when it said it, Phil said but one one time he did actually play it for us. Uh, the guy, the guy that owned the book before me, wrote apparently not a con game. Wow, yeah. change of heart. Mm-hmm. Now, Dean also created a language of over two hundred characters that resembled ancient Babylonian. Again, supposedly channeling, and he wrote a sort of Rosetta Stone concerning that language using a poem of his own authorship called "Out of Orion's Mouth." Ooh. In other words, Fagerstrom was crazy but no doubt a creative genius. Spent his days working as a security guard. Spent his nights making languages, playing piano, drawing amazing diagrams. Security guard, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. he did cool things that crazy people do because there's something about the focus that being a schizophrenic can bring you sometimes that's like that's very, very powerful. And so he did a bunch of shit. I mean, he never had love, right. but he definitely had his drawings. Yeah, yeah. he's like Simon, that SNL character. <laughs> That's a child. Yes. That yeah. hangs out in a bathtub and does yes. drawings. That is weird. Yeah, yeah. The, Played by a grown man. Yeah. Which I'll, I never like it. I never like when, when adults play children. So you don't like a common theme on SNL for a while. So you don't like Clifford? Clifford's different because Martin Short is a national treasure. <laughs> what was the name of the, when Robin Williams played uh, the, Jack? That was sad. That movie is disturbing. Uh, what, what, what was going on with that there? They, they sold it to children. I, I thought it was supposed to be fun. You know, that's a Francis Ford Coppola movie? Good Lord, yeah. it's depressing. Yeah, it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie. <laughs> now, Dean Fagerstrom was not the only instance of a channeler that Phil and Brogno found, although the other one that he found wasn't quite as impressive. James was a middle-aged man who worked for the Department of Treasury as an investigator. Mm. And James had taken a frankly intriguing photo of a yellow egg-shaped object flying in the night sky, and he'd called up Brogno about the photo for a second opinion. Okay. After showing them the photo, James opened up a little. He said that he'd been in mental contact with a being known to him as the Master Surgeon of the Universe. Ben Carson. <laughs> it's not made up. There's nothing made up about this. Honestly, this is when it really goes off the rails. All, All right. of this shit this is, is when pretty, it goes pretty off the stupid. Rails? Yes, this is pretty stupid. No, the Master Surgeon was a part of a non-corporeal people who were in charge of putting humanity back on the straight and narrow, and they were doing this through people like James, the Treasury Investigator. Okay. No. Yes. The master, however, didn't always didn't always seem to have James's best interests at heart. If James did not follow the master's instructions, the master would torment him all night and would not let him sleep. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there was a there was a guy when I used to work at Eckerd's when I used to do the photo developing thing. There was a guy that used to come in every day who was a, ma- a mentally handicapped man. I forget his name, but he used to come and be like, "Hi, you got any gold coins?" And he always asked for the gold coins, which were this at the time the dollar coins that we were more popular, I guess, I in, the, in the early two thousands. Yeah. So he came and was like, You got any gold coins? And we're like, No, I mean, yeah, you know, none today. And he would have this sheet of paper that was photographed that said um, he needed a master, and that he wanted one of us to be his master, and that if he didn't do push-ups right, that um, he has to lift up the bricks and he has to do his push-ups, and if he doesn't do it right, then the master can beat him until his bones. 
crick and crack. And that he had all of these rules of all of this shit that we would have to do to him. Sort of like, not sexually, but it was like spanking him and like making his bones go crick and crack and make him do push-ups in front of you. And then if he does well, we were to give him gold coins. Yeah, I think you are going to be part of a huge sexual fantasy for this man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, one night, the master directed James to travel to an area just outside of Sandy Hook. When he when James got there to the spot and saw a multitude of no trespassing signs posted on a chain link fence, the master told him, don't worry about it. Just go on, hop on in yep. there. Everything's going to be great. That's your sign to go on in. And no sooner had James jumped that he was surrounded by military personnel and was promptly arrested for trespassing. <laughs> and when he told his captors what he was doing and why he was doing it, they placed him under psychiatric care and gave him medication. And wouldn't you know it, just so long as James takes his meds, the master don't talk to him. Oh, okay. Uh, see, it's weird how it works like that. <laughs> yeah. But he says he can also, he can still feel the master's presence. All right. And while this just does sound like James is a deeply disturbed person, Imbrogno yeah. makes sure to point out that his photographs are nonetheless interesting. Uh, and it is yes, possible that did a he made contact, but it all just got a bit out of hand. Okay. Yeah, they did a good overview of his pictures. So they did like this weird thing where they did a chemical overview and it said that there was something present in the picture. Like they didn't fuck with it. They actually had a live picture, but uh, the, that does not exclude you from being uh, very sick. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, all this channeling stuff had, up to this point, been all fun and games for Imbrogno, but that was until he visited Mark and Lois of Greenwich, Connecticut, sometime in the late 80s, early 90s, I think. Okay. Mark and Lois claimed that they were in contact with and could channel 104 different aliens all belonging to the same Federation of Planets. That's a lot. They claimed yeah. whenever they wanted... These highly advanced beings would drop whatever they were doing and answer the call of a couple of hippies from Greenwich. Okay. Oh, man, they were like Daryl Hammond. Oh. <laughs> Filled with characters. Yeah, that's right, and Phil Hartman. Uh-huh. Remember him? I remember, I remember him. I yes, Phil. I do. Of course I do. Well, naturally, Phil was curious, so he went along and sat in on a session. Mark asked questions as Lois channeled, and one by one, the roll call began. There was Munka. Priest philosopher of Mars and protector of Earth. She was the primary contact. <laughs> okay. Yes. Next came. Yes, she was. Monka? Next came Monka. Fanta One, who was not one, but 50. Well, that's a misleading name, then, isn't it? Fanta's got now strawberry soda and orange soda and grape <laughs> soda. It's all the different fruits, so it's like that. It's like soda. I don't like it when they do that. There was Nemus, the scientist. And Juan, the other scientist. Just one of those. That's not Juan Spanish Juan. No. That's Juan W-A-N. It's alien one. There was Han and Lomu and Kalira and Soltec, not to mention Urso. You better not not mention Urso. <laughs> you got to mention Urso. And they all answered when Lois called. Phil listened skeptically as they hopped from one New Age platitude to another, but then the air changed. Slowly. And you know he was listening skeptically because he was slowly chapping his chin, <laughs> just being like, I'm listening skeptically. <laughs> slowly, the room grew colder, no matter how high they turned up the heat. The dog started growling, and the energy drained from the room. Munka came forth with a warning. Uh-oh. For Phil. Yeah, this is Phil. Now Phil's in the center of yes. this. Wow. And this is, oh, yes, this is being written by Phil. And it doesn't sound, maybe it does sound like he's purposely putting himself in there. But this really maybe 
didn't it happen maybe yeah. it happened monka's got a message for phil oh yeah monka's like hey phil yeah what's going on you don't want to make it cold in here i didn't wear a sweater and i don't care my i don't count my chesty and my becky as my sweater well she told him that a powerful evil negative force was coming to destroy him Uh-oh. because he was getting too close to the being's true identity mm. and that was followed by a strange knocking and a low chanting or so phil says yes yeah, so it says yeah <laughs> so i says i literally says to him so i says you'll be some kind of alien and i'm so close to the identity i must be some kind of danger to use i'm gonna tell my buddy alan and he's gonna all be so mad yeah phil is flying too close to the sun here <laughs> and then a message arrived from an outside source This is the exchange, as is reproduced in contact of the fifth kind. Mark said, who is this, please? And an unknown being said, I will only speak to Phil. (laughs) And Phil said, well, can you tell me who you are? (laughs) And the unknown being said, Donestra. Whoa, it's coming full circle. Wow. It's here talking Donestra to Donestra. Is back and only wants to talk to Phil. <laughs> That's it. I see. He's the only one. He's the one. He's Neo, Kissel. Oh. He's the only person with the, the missing piece. Yeah. Okay. And this is the same Donestra who had been in contact with Dean Fagerstrom. The same Donestra who had told Dean to give the diagrams to Phil. Wow. And see? Him, yeah. And when Phil asked Donestra, what am I supposed to do with these diagrams? Right. Donestra said... In time, you will know. You must, however, be warned that a very ancient evil force has been trying to get to you for a very long time. You and the being are old enemies, for you have defeated him many times in the past. I cannot hold this line of communication. You talk about Alex Trebek? (laughs) Alex Trebek saying all those things I don't know. I know for a fact you give me some books I can read about what you're saying. I I know the answers in the books. Alex Trebek. At some point, there'll be an internet invented, and there'll be a program, uh, a website called Etsy, (laughs) at which point you'll know what to do with the drawings. Donester then faded out, and the session ended. So what does all this have to do with Hudson Valley? What does all this have to do with (laughs) Hudson Valley? (laughs) Well, it all comes down to Dean. Oh. Although Dean's first contact was when he he was in the army in Germany, his first experiences were said to have happened as a child. And although there is very little information about Fagerstrom outside of contact of the fifth kind, Mm. I assume that where he returned to, the Hudson Valley, is where he grew up. See, Dr. J. Allen Hynek hypothesized that there were windows into parallel realities that existed in certain areas on Earth. There was a certain part of where Alan Hynek really did believe that there were physical spots, right? And that there, that reality was thinner and this shit would happen all the time in specific areas. Well, there's another woman that wrote a book called uh, Lisa Zimmerman that wrote a book called The Hudson Valley Sightings that basically said that there's, and, and it's a pretty legit book, and it's a collection of sightings that have been happening in the Hudson Valley since the 1890s. And so it's been there for a long time. And so we see these a lot in America. There was the Bridgewater Triangle, which we covered. And so in the Hudson Valley, the end of Contact of the Fifth Con- it goes through a lot of phenomena. It talks about ghosts. It talks about all this shit. And then all of this was happening in this one area. And if it wasn't Philip Brogno, it would be something I would look into. But is <laughs> and Heineck sort of believed it, but he started, he basically just started researching it and then he died. I mm-hmm. want to learn more about that splunking trip. 
Oh, you're about to. Oh, you because, don't want you know, to. <laughs> because you know why all this high strangeness happened? Why? Druids. Druids? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell do the druids have to do with it? Druids. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we actually don't know. <laughs> well, and Bro- Let's go. And Brogdo made a map of all the instances of high strangeness and sightings in upstate New York and found that at the center of the areas with the highest instances stood either a carved standing stone mm. or a stone chamber. And the highest concentration of these stones and or chambers was in Putnam County, where Fagerstrom lived. Mm. Now, Fagerstrom is just a byproduct of this. He is highly unusual and interesting, yes, but he is not the only strange thing around. No, he's not. Tiny Tim was from up there, too. Oh, okay. And there's that part. But they say these things, Brogdos, and a couple other hypotheses, these standing stone structures, it's harder to describe. They're like little sheds made out of stones that are placed together so tightly so that there's no, they don't use any mortar or glue to hold these, like, piles of stones together. But and so the druids, yes, may have done this when supposedly they visited America thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. where they have a whole idea that the druids came to the Northeast America and hung out. But there's also many rebuttals, and that they they were there, and what they did was basically marked sacred grounds using these stone chambers, and that's where the aliens would come out of because aliens are close to fairies, which are close to ghosts, which is all sort of weird. Any sort of high strange behavior can all be connected to each other. But then there's a whole other, apparently another thing that maybe during the early 18th century, farmers just built this shit because it was cool. Yeah. Druids. <laughs> Dru- Druids. Remember that? Yeah. Dru- Druidia. Druidia. <laughs> uh, the evidence that uh, Imbrogno gives that you can see, however faintly, an ancient language named Ogum, which is an early form of Gaelic written on the rocks. And on one of the rocks, they found a carving of the constellation Pleiades. Imbrogno states that the chambers built in upstate New York are actually temples built on magnetic anomalies. And Imbrogno knows because he took readings with a research-grade magnetometer. (laughs) Yeah. And also, he says the word magnetic anomalies in contact with the fifth kind Maybe 175 times. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and he believes that these are spots where reality is thin and a place where UFOs can use the magnetic energy to warp into the fourth dimension, I think. Now, uh, unfortunately, like all things alien, this is where it kind of just trails off. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we're ending this episode? There's no answers yes. here. It just trails yeah, off? There's no After answers. After all yes. this, you guys are leading me to an episode that just trails off like a horrible yes. fucking psychedelic <laughs> song. Hey, Ben. Kissel. Ben, my, this ben, is, ben. This is ben. Like the farmhouse of episodes. Ben, it's a mystery. It's a no, mystery. It's, it just trails off. Listen, no, just welcome to my life. I feel like I, this is like I'm, in, to I'm in a jam band this hell. This is the constant experience of the UFO <laughs> enthusiast. It is always this. Because the problem is it doesn't end until I have a UFO in a, a garage and a gray in a casket in my possession. The story doesn't end until I blow my brains out or I am abducted by an alien. That's it. That's the only suitable closure. It's better than it just trailing off. 
<laughs> Good Lord. All right, there it is. The Hudson Valley incident here. My goodness, the sighting heard round Hudson Valley. <laughs> and a special, We've learned nothing. Yeah, special thanks to uh, research assistant uh, Rachel. Uh, for yes, this. So this was her uh, first alien episode, wow. which are the most difficult ones to research, and she did a hell of a job. Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, all I'm right. just glad that I'm not in direct contact with her for these episodes. I'm a buffer. Because I feel like... I, I think it would be kind of cool, though, maybe time for her to get the 2 a.m. emails I send you. Yeah. The so ones, that she could the, see them. The ones that I woke up to, the uh, two-hour-long uh, Heineken radio interview that I woke up to this morning. Yeah, well, she's it's an good. employee, so we'll, <laughs> we'll just have Marcus talk to her. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Let's see. What do we want to do here? We want to thank everyone for giving to our Patreon. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, if you uh, want to we're going to get back to uh to shout-outs, uh, you know, like Jonestown's a long series, so we're yep. going to be getting back to shout-outs. Uh you, if you want to give, if you uh, deserve if you think we deserve a little bit of money, you can go uh to patreon.com/lastpodcast on the left and yep. give there. Thank you all so much. You guys, without you, none of this is possible. I promise this because I talk shit about those pins that I got, all of the Kool-Aid man shit from Jim Jones. Uh-huh. Go check out the uh, uh, bleakshop.bigcartel.com. They sell all of those Kool-Aid man pins if you want to go take a look at them. But just know it is flavor. you'll be wrong. Yeah, it is flavor-aid. <laughs> let's, let's try to keep it accurate to the facts here. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and thanks, everyone. We did a little, uh, I guess, a little Patreon special episode last week. So if you like those creepy pastas, uh, most people liked them. Some people are not very nice. No, but most people are very nice. So I do that on the Patreon. So that's a little, a little um, insight into what you'll get if you uh, if you give to that, we're just having fun. We're having and fun. And I also say that we're having fun, and we're just trying to make as much fun stuff as goddamn possible. That's it. And also, we're going to be doing. I have some special, some specially fun interviews coming your way. You, it's going to be nice, and you're going to like it. You're going to pay for it. <laughs> you're going to love it. Uh, let's see. So follow everyone on social media, oh, and, and of course, uh, listen to all the shows here. Page seven, Abelian's top at. Just thumb through uh, the last podcast network, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy whatever you stumble. Oh yeah, we got some we got some newer shows like The Story Must Be Told. We got mm-hmm. other shows like uh, Movie Sign with the Mads that features a couple of guys from Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of shit. Oh, and also uh, be sure to go check out my show Milk and Peppers. Oh, uh, you can listen yeah. to me live every Tuesday from one to three p.m. Eastern, give or take one to three p.m. Uh, and you can also listen to all the old shows on Mixcloud.com/slash Marcus Parks. Very cool, awesome. So follow us on Twitter at Henry Loves You at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel. Follow us on Instagram at Doctor Van Tate. T and Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel, the number one. And follow Last Podcast at Left on all of this horse shit at LP on the left. There it is. And hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Again. Hail me. And a magoostillations, everyone. Aliens, man. Woo! What's up, everybody? How are you? This is a time for Patreon shoutouts. Thanks for donating. Thank you. We love you. Thank you for your money. And your love. Ooh, it's so nice to have money and love. Now that money are people, they're giving us little humans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, should I start? Let's start. All right, Megan Fisk. Thank you, Megan. Caitlin Deboy. Ashley Hall, Ashley R. Haney, Holly Wolf, Alan Bauer, Quinn Thomas, Tori Amelia Dow, Matthew R. Alice, Andrew Stewart, 
Angela uh, Mer- Mercurio. 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 Jerry Lewis. Oh, like, in Ro- like, that's like in Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's yeah. Mer- that's M- Mercurio. Mer- Mercutio. That's Mercutio. 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 What? Mer- Jerry Mer- Lucero. <laughs> Jerry Lucero. Mark uh, Stores. D- Dale DeVille. Mantic. Joe Johnson. Jason Colombo. A heck of a detective. Daryl Horton. Wartooth. Bethany Ingalls, Selena Demkes, Jessica Delfante, Jeff Watson, Seth Diamond, Jessica Denoff, Dylan Goodwin, Braxton Rowe. Hey, what's up, Braxton? Bridget Clavey, John David, Festive Pinball, Jade O'Lantern, Christopher Matthewman, Rebecca Elner, Thomas Boatwright, Bobby Ford, Matt Christensen, Riley Crossley, Kaylee Christensen, Graham Miller, Elizabeth Ann Kruger. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves. Asako Manoa, Ryan Stickney, Jordan Upton, Chad, Daniel, Faith Barksdale, row, row, April Lovelace, ooh, Colin Bruns, Colin Butts, Ryan Duty. <laughs> you got a Butts and a Duty back to back, huh? <laughs> Dana Wilson, Caitlin Fridley. Corey Metcalf, Holly Biasky, Rebecca Berg, Connor Jones, JB Wyatt, Sydney Pike, Marginee Israel, Michael Aron, Isling Coons, Simone Thomas, Thomas, Elick, Maddie Williams, Sam Cloward, Sarah, Aaron Chasson, Brandon Najami, Sarah Demi, Daniel, it's a bunch of L's, <laughs> Carolyn McBride, you are here, the world's first choose-your-own-adventure podcast. Matt Minter, Alice James, Tiffany Jenkins, Rory Lee, Jason Huber, Patrick Lejeune, Ellie Bueno, Eli Bueno, Ryan McLeod, Deb Hoban, Martha Marks, Jared Enos, Dana Furkaron, Max Zrodnik, Jason Westfall, Laura Koble, Courtney Halverson, Heather Montgomery, Herman Rumpster, <laughs> I love it. Lindsay Lindsay Pletcher, Buddy, Doug Brugger, Lisa Greeley, Roxanne Kalenborn, Trevor Collins, Jail Harper, Colin Ritzinger, Brittany Watson, Jay Spencer, Max Moore. Thank you. I got Jenna Kessel. Okay. Helen McWilliams, Kaylee, Chris Day, Sarah Parker, John Pinto, Anastasia. Saknovskaya. Good thing you got that one. Matt Skinner, Megan Gunter, John Love, Bernie Ike, Lindsay Minnelli, Teal, Sabine Reiber, or Reber, Crossland J. Beer, Elliot Beer, Timothy Munzer, Tara Bayan, Sean Rosenthal, Jackson Davis, Scott Dastrup, M. Sanen, or Sanen. Okay. Kylie Miracle, Monica, Abigail Dufour, Christina Honor, Dave Kane, non-nonsense name, Alex Murray, Dan Dement, Fletcher Slater, Sean Knight, Karen Alexander, Helen Abigail D'Angelo, Joel Thomas Runyon, Nathan Chiruco, Jim Gullickson, Andre Lozoya, Nicole Chastain, Sarah Worthington, and Ruth Skinner. All right, I'm going to go with uh, Megan Joyce, 
uh, Genevara Kuzil or Kazel, Sarah Urban, Virginia Owens Ownsorg, 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 Virginia Ownsorg, Tiffany Imig, Jesse Hunter, Annie Davis, Evelyn Edwards, Stephanie Atkins, Corey Wade, Nick Mamuni, Andrew Franken, uh, Andrew Franklin, Tien Naguin. Uh, I apologize if I butchered that. Kirsten Soli Castile, Annie, uh, Ann Atkinson, Anna Delaha, Delaha. It's D E L A H A Y A. De La High. De La High. De La High. Okay, Anna De La High. Dylan Willer. Haley Castaneda. Robin Johnson. Russ Turbeek. Nils Lindquist. What's up? Ashley Weisbeck. Damon Vernon. Anna Whiten. Martin Hickford. Mike Norton. Ramon Balcom. Stephanie Moreno. Anna Visnitskaya. Vitniskaya. Vitniskaya. Okay. Uh, Patricia Palmer, Simon Casper, Buddy Hale, Casey Cabral, Angela, Angela N. Fletcher, Meta Somerville, Kyle Tracola, Stacy Schwager. What up? Lauren Klein Janew, Charlie Hartley, and Heather Bethheiser. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves. Chris Jordan, Matt Flusher, Jesse Choi, Taryn Price, Crystal Bouland, Lindsay Morales, Evelyn Union, Katie Dumper, Martha Blanchard, Will Bunn, Phil Radomski, John Sanford, ARG, Vane Jenkins, Nick Solomon, Justin Sheeler, James Fuller, Derek, Corey Myers, Hannah Giltner, Milo Caruso, or Milo Caruso? Dale Suave, Phoebe Balkin, Daniel Janin, Mary Elizabeth Kozarski, Garrett Lapata, Katie Lehausen, Josh Garrett, Russian letters, Jürgen, Nicholas, <laughs> Very Joey good. Dollar. I did my best. Yeah, it's a K, a bunch of weird circles with slashes through them. Joey Dollar, Lily Farmer, Clinton Miller, Claire Haynes, Gruffy. Lynn Yusu, Aster Reed, Vanessa Davies, Tyler Trail, Amanda Morse. I got Andrew Bronner, Gary Strong, Dominique Kalich, Elizabeth Marie, Danielle Renee, William Arthur, William Young, Antoine de Bono, Lauren Weston, <laughs> Stephanie Holly, Giovanni Avile, Laura McCarthy, Holly Sullivan, Katie Allen, the man named Butt. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. Classic. That's classic. Garrett N. Burns, Lindsay Hillebrand, Morgan Mako, Linnell, Alexander Rose, Michael Contente, Alexander Black, Emma Duthie, Kenzie Howell, Derek Carroll, Jeffrey Bridges, Allison, Carrie McGovern, Amanda Donnelly, Zachary Darby, Melissa Small, Lauren Gant, Lauren Jen, Organ, Danielle Guzman, Daniel Rudd, Cody Spagrude, Michael Kelly, Kate Rosen, Edward Hicks, Danielle La Decour, and Kimberly Atkins. All right, here we go. I'll round it up here. Uh, Anamika Vaughn, Justin Colley, Corey Hollowdin, uh, Hollowdin, I don't know. It's H-L-O-H-O-L-O-D-N-Y-J. Hollowdin. 
Okay. Hallöchen. All right. Rebecca Manners. I'm skipping over one. I'm going to close with it. I think it's very fun. (laughs) Rebecca Manners, Riley Henschel, Joshua Shelton, Carl, Danielle Belusi, Chris Conrad, Casey Casey or Casey Marfil, Soon Lolholm, Lolholm, Jill L. Brown, Bo Burkholz, Aaron Rigsmith, Jeff Hard Hart, uh, Michael Lacasco, uh, Lacascio, probably Lacascio, uh, Tally <laughs> Hertzka, Gary Tim, Andy Chen, Chastity Belt, oh my goodness, uh, Julie Correll, Charlotte, Megan DeLon, Sophie Collum, Jenny Bacocos, Bacocos, Austin Davenport, Joanna Parzell, Ryan Cook, Casey Tallhurst, Emily Olszewski, Emily Olszewski, Vincent Pagilia or Pagilia, Jessica Heichel or Heichel, Nick Sandvig, Kelsey Boyle, Tim and Holly Braun, Braun Strowman win Elimination Chamber and beat Brock at WrestleMania, Tim and Holly Braun. Helly, uh, Heather Melling, the Bloody Baroness. Kelly Ketcherson. Baroness. Baroness, the Bloody Baroness. Okay, there we go. Kelly Ketcherson. How many, all, I mean, I'm mispronouncing probably everything. <laughs> Russell Hall. And finally, to end it out for me, I put on my pants, <laughs> which is fun. <laughs> I put on my pants. Congratulations. Right. Hail yourselves. Thank my you all so much. List. I got finalists, Jessica Lockmonster, Bruce Pretty, Emily Talent, Tabitha Eller, Ryan Peppa, Caitlin McGreal, Alicia Sullivan, Brett H., Valerie, Thomas McGregor, Sally Zaleski, Randall Chancellor, Kajerski Ferret, Philip Van Ingham, SXM22, Patrick Dost, Bradley E. Moyer, Alex Field, Daniel Nonnen, and Carolyn Akers, Thank you for your service. All right. Rounding it all out, I got Arthur Edmund, Jordan Ramos, Cameron Engel, Joshua Takak, Christina Sotelo, Maren Ortvit, Handley Zinsmaster, Jameson Mar- These all sound like fake names. Oh, who knows? I mean, there's fake names. <laughs> These are bots. You're exposing our bots, Marcus. <laughs> Jameson Murphy, Dylan Kenyon, Marcus Lamb, Brianna Delaney, or Delaney, Ryan O'Keefe, Sierra Grange, Dustin Clark, Clara Brotherton, Quinn Shabow, Abigail Stuckless, Jody DeGasari, Mark O'Malley, Brittany Buckhav, Jonathan Collum, Jonas Stavsing Einarsen, Mikalina Vaughn, Elizabeth Middleton, Brittany McDonald, Scott Quinn, Kelsey Schneider, Brad Keesley, Craig Berghofer, Kate Montagne, Garrett Hampton, Rob Skellhorn, Hallie E. Thomas, Evie, Torin Skjeldelstrand, Jason McRae, Jesse Booth, Mallory Maynard, Lisa Brown, and Justin Owen. There it is. Hail yourselves. Thank you all so much for giving. Um, we hope to see you all very soon. Seriously, thank you all so much. As always, thank you guys. Hail Satan. It's been wonderful. Magustalations. Magustalations. See you, fuckers.
Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.